I was working with a therapist and she's like, one of the things you need to do is you need to do, um, develop an exercise routine because it's really going to help your body and your psyche to get into that. And that's true. It did. But I remember, so I started running. I remember on one of those runs though, <laughs> I was just running and I was like, well, why the hell am I running? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? like I eventually bumped up against the existential question of like, what does it mean to be here? And as I tried, as I was transcribing Say Yes into a book about how do you not give up on yourself here where you find yourself? Right. I realized there was all these layers of like, well, what does it mean to be here? And if there's a giver of here, the way I say it in the book is like, we all understand that life is a miracle. We have the mm. science for that. It took its incalculable odds and a really, really, really long time for humanity to be here. And we all understand that life is a miracle, but how come the miracle sucks sometimes? Yeah. And if there's a giver of that miracle, does the giver have anything to say about the suckiness? Hello, dear friends and damn givers. I'm Nick LaPara, and this is Let's Give a Damn. On this show, I have conversations with all kinds of amazing humans that have two things in common. They all give a damn, and they're all striving to live meaningful lives. Thank you for hitting play this week. Thank you for showing up. I'm so incredibly glad you're here. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our weekly email. Once a week, we'll send you some of our favorite books, articles, quotes from our favorite damn givers, and we'll keep you updated on the latest podcast conversation and any other news we think you might be interested in hearing about. I promise this email is short and sweet and won't feel cumbersome to receive or read. And I'm busy as hell, so some weeks I don't even get it out, which means you won't be getting too many emails from us. If you'd like to sign up to receive this email, visit letsgiveadam.com now. It's an easy way for you to support us and for you to keep up on what's going on in the crazy and ever-changing world of Let's Give a Damn. My guest this week is Scott Erickson, aka the most frequent guest on the Let's Give a Damn podcast. This is his third appearance. Scott is so full of wisdom and creativity, and I just love the hell out of him. Scott Erickson is an artist, author, performance speaker, and creative curate who mixes autobiography, mythology, and aesthetics to create art and moments that speak to our deepest experiences. That is a fancy way of saying that Scott makes you feel all of the feelings in the best way possible. And today, Scott is on the show to talk about his brand new book, which comes out on January 25 called Say Yes, Discover the Surprising Life Beyond the Death of a Dream. This book is an illuminated manuscript about how our darkest moments are actually doorways to a deeper conversation about who we are, why we're here, and how the future bursts with possibilities if we are willing to say yes to the gift of life on the other side of a death of a dream. In this conversation, we talk about dreams that die, what the voice of giving up on yourself sounds like, how to incorporate a death practice into our lives, and how we can say yes today and every day. Before we begin, as always, a quick reminder that you can anytime and for any reason email me at hello at letsgiveadam.com. You can ask questions, recommend future guests, tell me how much you love or hate the show, anything goes. I just love hearing from you. And now let's get right into my conversation with the fascinating and stunningly handsome Scott Erickson. Let's go. Scott Erickson, my friend, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast again. Again. It's been a while, though. It's it has been a, been a while. It has been a while. But I was thinking that you are the most repeated guest on this show. That's did you? But so, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Do so, I get a coat? Do I get a you, coat? <laughs> I, I have a whole gift package in the mail to you. It's a whole thing. Um, no, but really, so it's technically this will be the te technical fourth time, even though three of them have been aired because we tried to do the first say yes show yeah, years yeah. ago, right? Yeah. We tried to record that thing, never recorded. So a few months later, you were on the show for the first time. Really great. People loved it. Then you and Justin McRoberts. Yep came on to talk about another book that you both had written together. And so that was your second time. And now third, no one's been on three times. Um, so, I mean. Hat trick of glory. I love it. It's great. I'm so glad to have you here. And before, people can't see this, but I do want to point out, maybe I'll post a picture later um, of 
not just your beautiful face, but the artwork behind me that yeah. people have commented on. When I, I'm so glad that I put it up yeah. uh, because obviously we're always, I mean, we're spending so much time on these stupid damn like <laughs> Zoom calls right. and um, it matters what's in the background. So I have a jacket, I have some books and I have two of your prints, which I love That's very great. much. That's great. I, I think I'm, it's so I'm, great. I'm moving I'm, my head. I'm moving my head. People can see them in the picture later. I, that Bill Murray one, I actually want to put that up in my studio because I it's like a favorite of mine. And I, so I and I made it. I'm like I should just print one out and put it up somewhere. Like you I should. It's it's, yeah. it's so perfect. Yeah. Who doesn't love Bill Murray? Yeah, <laughs> that particular moment in Rushmore is like my favorite. I was like I made a early, I made a painting of that a long yep. time ago, and then I found that painting picture of that painting and i was like oh i want to like illustrate it in like a you know a drawing style so it but it's like a particularly like low moment it's like yeah, the lowest this, moment for him in I, I mean there's going to be some low moment uh topics you know during this conversation so describe it because again i'll post if you're wondering which print we're talking about you need it i'll link to it in the show notes or yeah. you can go to scott's store as well and find it there but describe the moment because it really is just a i love i just go to youtube sometimes and just look up that moment in the elevator <laughs> it's so funny it's uh yeah, in the movie Rushmore, uh, Bill Murray plays uh, Herman Bloom, who's this like rich businessman who makes friends with this little this kid, this kid in school called Max Fisher, and they both kind of are in love with the the same teacher, and they have a feud against each other, which is hilarious. But then, yeah, he gets divorced, and then she, uh, his wife divorces him, and then the woman he loves kind of rejects him. And so he's been pretty low. And then the school principal is in the hospital. So he's, they both show up at the hospital at the same time. Yeah. And uh, they're in the elevator and Bill Murray's just like disheveled. He's got a Diet Coke can in his pocket that he's like pouring alcohol in. He's just chain smoking. And at one point <laughs> he has like two cigarettes in his mouth. It's amazing. One almost done and he's starting another one. And then Jason Schwartzman, who plays Max, who's Max Fisher says, hey, are you okay? And he's like, hmm. I've been a bit lonely these days. <laughs> and then he like walks out of the elevator and it's just this like low moment of just like, mm, I've been, I've been pretty lonely. And I, I just think that resonates on like a, a deeply human moment of just like, yeah, we'll find ourselves in just real down and out lonely places. Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. I mean, if there's one thing that has happened more during the pandemic than ever before is we've just gotten real. Yeah. Like on social media and otherwise, like more people are just showing their true selves and we need to have more Bill Murray. I'm feeling a little bit lonely, Diet Coke in the pocket, you know, pouring liquor of choice into it, you know, yeah. and two cigarettes yeah. in the mouth. Like, because that's how, that's how I feel so much of the time. Not the mm -hmm. lonely part, thankfully, like I haven't had, to, I, I don't deal a lot with loneliness, but just the overwhelmed everything. That's yeah. how I feel most of the time. So why the fuck am I like hiding it? Why am I trying to put on, you know, this, this, I'm doing great persona when really, um, yeah, I'm literally, you know, or figuratively smoking two cigarettes at once just to get <laughs> to the next like moment. So I love yeah. that picture uh, yeah. a lot. I think we just, what's helpful, what I like about it is creating solidarity for yeah. how we really feel. Like, cause we are always invited, uh, to be uh, a front-facing best version of ourselves. And yeah. so we spend a lot of time making sure nobody can see the the cracks and the fissures and the sadness. For some of us, it just it just lives on our faces so we can't get away from right. it. But like, um, yeah, I think I, at least a lot of things in my art, for one, it's a lot of it's my own therapy. So then, and then but then I share it in solidarity and go, uh, maybe you felt this way too. And I think that's what resonates with people. One more thing on this image that people can't see, so hopefully they're not bored of talking about it yet, but I love how you've got, like, you do some, like, you do a lot of, like, religious, you know, mm -hmm. and spiritual art, and yeah. you have sort of the halo yeah. that that appears, you know, above so many saints, right? It's, you yeah. know, so many times these, this halo is associated with saints, uh, yeah. paintings of saints and different people that we revere, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, the Thomas Mertens and the, you know, people like that. And then you did it over Bill Murray in his most disheveled form. Mm -hmm. So again, I love that you, whether that was super intentional or not, and I'm sure it was knowing you, yeah, it's everybody, even the people that we look up to and think are amazing and look like they have their shit together all the time. Yeah. Don't. 
Yeah. Prob- probably don't in that moment or, you know, or at some moment in the, in the near past or in the near future, that's how they feel. Yeah. I, you know, I've thought a lot about like, why do we make things quote unquote sacred? What, what is the reverence that we're giving to a person? And, and usually it's about their virtues. Like this, this person did this very virtuous thing, right? You know, they're like, Oh, they're a saint. Oh, look how much better than they are. I hope to be like that one day. And so uh, we put some gold leaf behind their head and, you know, we, I, you know, clean them up in a nice painting and we make them an icon, but I, I'm really against that. I understand how we want to give reverence to something while we do that, but I'm really against what happens with that is that we start to remove ourselves from thinking we could be places that sacred things could happen to. Um, And uh, what I don't like about the, yeah, the sacred art movement or whatever is just like, it's separating ourselves from thinking that, that we could be a part of divine participation. And I, and, and I think that our actual like lowest moments or greatest vulnerabilities are the, are the soil that divine participation is planted in. And so it's kind of just my way of saying like, this low moment is sacred too, just as later on when somebody does something wonderful, also being broken by the world is, part of the journey as well. Like mm. even in the, even in like the sacred text that Judaism and Christianity are from, it says like the Messiah is uh, a man, uh, a man of sorrows, a man acquainted with grief. Like in Isaiah, it says, it says that. So it's like, even this, even this like forthcoming solution to our problems, it's like part of being human is knowing what sorrow is like, knowing what grief is like, you know? And yeah, I, I do and, know. Uh, and in a in a and a lot of times, at least in like Western Christianity, it's all it's often been uh, put in bed with like, you know, over positive thinking and 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 a product based pitch. Like this is the solution to your problems. And I I just think it's like it fails. It's it's just setting itself up for fail for failure when your friend dies of cancer mm. or you um, you know you get fired from your job or you get robbed or, you know, just the shit of life. And, um, anyways, that we could go into that. That's not what we're here to talk about, but that's, those are my no. opinions about, uh, yeah, I just, I think it's like a, I want, I want to have a spiritual practice that encompasses all parts of my life, not just the, the potential of being better. I actually don't think your spiritual journey has anything to do about you becoming a better person. I think your spiritual practice and journey should be about you becoming a whole person. Well, that's, that's big right there. <laughs> I don't think your spiritual journey is about you becoming a better person, but a whole person. Yeah. Um, that's powerful. Let's just end it right there. No, but, <laughs> but uh, last thing I'll say on this, and then we will move on. I promise. I was just thinking, I, I love how this what you just said, this idea in the, you know, putting the icon over a disheveled, you know, sort of alcoholic Bill Murray in Rushmore, how it juxtaposes with what we saw this past week. And I don't even, I I can assume, I I think I know what your feelings would be on this, but, you know, there was a big uproar this week because uh, passion, this historically, you know, Mm. uh, large, uh, young Christian movement started by, started and still run by Louis and Shelley Giglio, People that I used to like, yeah. um, and I say used to very, very clearly, uh, because I I don't anymore. <laughs> but you know, in the in the in the middle of this this I mean, all over the country, we have this huge COVID surge right now. Yeah, yeah. And in Georgia, in the the very day, the very first day of Passion this year, in Georgia, there were sixty five thousand. Uh, recorded COVID cases in one day. It was a it was a it was a record for for Georgia. And then this movement of people that say that they follow uh, Jesus, who always identify with the poor, always identify with the weak, always identify with the sick, yeah. um, and was the realest mother effer out there. Like he was yeah. so real. Like he kept it real. He hung out with prostitutes, he sex workers. He hung out with the people that were sick. Like he did not care about hanging out with the cool people. And so they say they follow this Jesus, and yet. During a pandemic, not just during a pandemic, but during one of the most incredible surges we've had in the past two years, they get together in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, break the rules of the stadium by having the roof closed and no masks on, no testing protocol, and they talk about healing, and they talk about 
a great life, and they talk about you know this better life that we're supposed to have in Jesus, all the while just not giving one shit about what was happening outside of Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I like the juxtaposition that we just talked about because yeah. it isn't about having a, it isn't about getting a, becoming a better person. The Christian life, the spiritual, not just Christian, the spiritual life, the spiritual journey. Yeah, it's yeah. about becoming a whole person. Um, yeah. yeah, just uh, there's so much going on in my mind right now, which I'm sure will work out here in the next few minutes. I yeah, I mean, I am in a very small way touring my show, um, but I'm working with the venues. Like yeah. I've gone, I've gone to comedy shows. You know, Austin's maybe a little bit more relaxed, but they 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 follow pretty strict protocols but it's like yeah. hey i've been seeing these comedians at the paramount and it's like you show your vax card you show your negative yep. test you wear a mask yep it's and you know your risks and if you feel like you're risk you just stay at home you know yep. it's like i understand that we're not getting to a spot where like society is going to completely shut down again and that's fine yep. i don't think it needs to but if in putting people at their workplace in danger um you know because it's like I will say like everybody there who went to Mercedes Benz, it was their choice, except for the people working there. Yeah. And so it, we, it's like being considerate to other people. I don't quite understand this weird, you know, and you and I, even though we're pretty far from that brand of Christianity, but we're both deeply spiritual people. And when I say Christianity, I mean like the sacred stories that help frame yes. the world I see and, and understand things. Um, there's this weird, like, I don't, I don't quite understand this. Like we have to denounce <laughs> science and medicine to try to like supersede these powers. I, I think it's like a real, it seems to me like it's like people are like, well, I believe in a power that's greater than all powers. And they're just trying to like test that out, even though the reality is like all human beings die. You know, yeah. the, one of the things that I think that I just distaste about kind of the modern religion, or at least the religion is just like it, it, and it's not all of it, but a version of like, I remember talking with some pastor friends of mine, and I was like, how come church is not the place where we talk about how to die well? Like we, yes. we like often the conversation is about afterlife or you know, some forthcoming return of the king or whatever, but you, we still perform funerals and there's like a lack of conversation about like, hey, you're going to die. We're yeah. all going to die. We're finite beings. Yep. We're very vulnerable. Yep. The line between life and death is very close. And uh, why can't a religious community be have a robust conversation about that instead of pivoting to kind of ignore it and just be like, well, I probably won't die in my lifetime because a savior is going to appear out of the clouds with a trumpet or, <laughs> or like... Just some kind of weird uh, escapism, you know, from that reality. Maybe it's just a maturity issue. Maybe it's really hard to sell something like that. Um, <laughs> You're, but, no, that's it. That's it. You just yeah. said it. Nobody who, nobody that isn't thinking, uh, 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 well, just bigger than. What am I trying to say here? It's you're completely right. It is hard to sell the churches that I've been a part of that do try to sell that, and I use that very loosely because they're not trying to sell anything, but like totally. the, that, that do talk about dying well more than becoming a better person in this lifetime, Yeah, they're small. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel good to have those hard conversations. It doesn't feel good to get in touch with those emotions and those feelings, right? Yeah. And so you can fill a stadium with 55,000 people during a pandemic to talk about everlasting life. And to yeah. talk about abundant life here on the earth and in the next one and all those mm -hmm. things. And to talk about good, good father and to talk about all these different things, you know, all these songs that just say everlasting and eternal and this over and over again. But you you could not, you physically could not gather 55,000 people to talk about dying well. Yeah. You, you couldn't. So you're saying my show won't get big. I'm saying your show is, no, I'm saying no, no. your show it, is amazing. And I wish there were 55,000 people there to uh, see it. That's what I am oh, saying. Oh, it would be horrible. I don't know. I mean, that would be crazy to try to keep, I don't understand. I don't know how, it'd be crazy to try to keep that attention of that audience. Like you need be, a lot of lights and fireworks and um, I guess I have the skinny jeans to do it. But like, yeah, it's, it is a. Uh, yeah, it's a crazy thing. I don't know. It's it's weird to, I know there's an audience listening. We should just talk as friends. It's weird to feel like you just kind of slowly divorcing yourself from something that was so much a part of your life. And, and to look at it and go, man, I just feel like, does this make people, I think there's a, ver where I'm, 
I think it's for, okay. I'm just, sorry. I'm talking this out. I don't have it. That's I fine. Figured it Go out. for it. But I'm like, for me, it's about like, what is the fruit of this stance? You know, like in the, in the faith tradition is like, what is, what's the fruit, the fruit of the spirit, the good right, fruit, right. bad fruit. Right. And I just go, what is the, let's just look at the fruit of what's happening here. You're, you're looking like an idiot in front of all of like the country. You're, you know, you're not being considerate of your neighbor. You're, yep. you're, you're, you're saying something to, in order to keep the whole thing going. It just looks like you're not a sane person. I don't know. It just, that's, that's what the fruit of it looks like. I understand like we believe in a power that's greater than the powers that um, that are happening on a, on this earth. Uh, but when we, when I think we talk about that, it's not about like, it's, I don't know. It's like saying, Hey, I'm going to get in a, I'm going to get in a cage with a tiger because I believe in a power that's greater than this power of this tiger. That's ridiculous. You're going to get torn up. Right. But when we, I think the, when we say the power greater than the power, I think what we mean actually is forgiveness. We're not talking about being prevented from airborne diseases. Right. Like that's the, that's the weird thing that I think there's this like pitch where it's like, we believe in a power greater than the powers that be. And it's like, you're a biological being an airborne illness will get into you and possibly kill you. But the powers, the, what the cross symbolize is the power of forgiveness. Yeah. The power of forgiveness to squelch, uh, anger, hatred, greed, objectifying, and demoralizing other people. Like the power that's greater than the powers that be is the power to forgive and restore. Uh, but humanity will die. All of us will die. Like that, that's just yeah. how we're how we're biological beings on this on this planet. Yeah. But like this, I, it's helpful to say this out loud. I'm like, oh, people are buying in on the wrong power. No, People they're totally they're totally buying in on the wrong power. See, here, this is what always boggles me. If you believe, because they believe that the the God that they're serving, yeah. they believe controls everything, mm -hmm. the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Yeah. So this God controls everything and can stop me from getting COVID. That is the that is the thought process there. Yeah. Well, millions of people have died from COVID. Yeah. So so either you're okay with a tyrant horrible yeah. God that yeah, it, let that let these people die and he's not going to let you die at your concert at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta beginning of January 2022. So so you're okay with him letting all those other people die yeah. in a pandemic or in a war, etc. But you're but you think he's going to save you. So yeah. there's there's multiple levin, levels of just twisted thinking there yeah because yeah. if he lets and if if your god lets anyone die and can prevent them from dying yeah i don't want any part of that god and i used to believe in that god that was yeah. the god that i embraced for years yeah. and years and years yeah. and i cannot and will not get on board with serving loving giving my life for that kind of a deity that given the chance to stop somebody from getting hurt or dying yeah and you let them yeah, I, I mean, it, that we're, we're getting into the things that philosophers have talked about for we ages. Are. We are, you know, which is, uh, is when we talk about is God good or bad, benevolent or what? Um, and I don't think you really know until like you've prayed over and over for a friend and they still die of cancer. Yeah, and uh, and you're the there's a great book called Oh man, sorry everybody, my brain is shot. But um, oh, oh disguise, uh, the grace disguised. I think it's called that. And this man, uh, his he gets in a car accident. His wife, his mom, and his daughter all die in the car accident. And mm. him and his two other children survive. And um, it is really tough. But he has a chapter called uh, "The Terror of Randomness," and he said one of the hardest things for his kids who survived, they would be like man, if I would have just tied my shoes and delayed us getting in the car for like two, uh, 10 right. seconds, we would have missed that truck that we hit. And just like over and over every scenario, all the possibilities of how could my mom still be here and my daughter and my sister still be here if mm. we would have done this differently. And I think that is absolutely true. There's an aspect of life where there's a randomness to it that we don't understand and it's terrifying. Um, I actually think that, you know, like the book of Job, when um, 
which is <laughs> some people take literal, but I'm just like, look, this is people writing a scenario right. of how, how does the world work? Right. And I think when, I think when in that story, the devil's talking to God and says, look, human beings only, the, he only believes in you because you are, are protecting him. If you let me at him, then we'll see what happens. And I, I wonder if we could say like in that story, if the devil goes, why don't you let me add randomness to existence and let's see if people still love you and praise you. You know, like, what if you let me add yeah. absurdity and randomness and seemingly meaninglessness to existence? Mm. And, I, and I, that's, at least that's where I go, where I'm like, and, and there's other teachers like Father Rick, Richard Rohr, he talks about the necessity to accept the absurdity of existence. And, you know, I, I just think there's these other ways of practicing being in the world that go, we're finite beings. We, we will die. We can die. Right. Um, that's part of it. It doesn't necessarily mean that um, the divine isn't involved or whatever, or the divine is having, taking it out on somebody or whatever. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just know that it happens. And that's part of being a human being. Um, if that's what makes you leave your faith, I think that's okay. Sure. <laughs> if that's yeah. what makes you give up on the whole thing, I understand. I totally do. I just, there's no, there's no judgment from, from me at least who has lost friends to cancer, suicide, um, tragic car accidents and deaths. Um, it's just, that's the world. That's the reality we find ourselves in. Yeah. And, um, and yet we see, even in my greatest despair and hopelessness, I do see this potential to, um, break the, uh, the bonds of like hatred. Um, this is coming back to the forgiveness thing. I, and I, this is something I'm working on where I'm just like, I think the greatest power underneath all the other powers is this potential for forgiveness and restoration. And that's what I keep seeing. It's head keeps poking up in these little places and I go, mm. oh, there's something bigger. In fact, I think like, it's interesting to, you know, I don't know if you know the history of the cross, like the early church never they didn't even adopt that for like 300 years after right. Jesus' crucifixion. It was around the time that Constantine made uh, uh, Christianity the official Roman uh, <laughs> uh, religion, which came with a lot of problems. But, um, you know, that the cross for a thousand years meant you lose. You know, it meant yeah, to people, yeah. it meant you lose under the weight of this empire. And for a faith tradition to take the symbol of oppression and then make it your symbol of hope is pretty punk rock. I mean, that's fairly badass. Um, and I just think it's really interesting on every church in the world is an execution device. I mean, it's been, we've lost that meaning because we've put it to precious moments and tattoos and made it or, ornamental and, you know, reminds us more of our grandma. And I also think it's a real confusing image because yeah, Mother Teresa wore a cross, but it's also on the in the logo of the KKK, like it's, you know, I just don't think it means anything anymore to people because it's so ubiquitous. But I just, I do think that there's this like punk rockness to it, which is like the thing that you think is ultimate power is not it, which ultimate power is oppression, the capacity to kill and maim and destroy and rule over. And I think we can see throughout history that that does happen, but there's still something deeper. I mean, I think that's the story of Jesus in some ways. It's like there's something greater even than all these powers. Anyways, I'm not a, I'm not a super someday, theologian, so we're going to get it. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I love that. That this Someday you and I need to sit down, drink a little bit too much, and talk about the cross for like two hours. Because that, okay. <laughs> the, what, you just, what you just brought up, I think about a lot because yeah. I, I don't always understand why I'm attracted to the cross yeah. as much as I am. Yeah, because it is a it is an execution device, and it, it is. is everywhere, and it has lost its meaning, and it still holds a ton of meaning, and it's this very back and forth, both and sort of thing that I can't quite figure out because I don't want to still be attracted to it, but I am, yeah. even in my my comings and goings spiritually. Like the cross still means a ton. I still multiple times a day cross myself. Like, why do I do that? Like, mm -hmm. I, it, it's very significant to me. I do it, you know. Uh, meals and when I'm at mass and all these different things and it still means something to me and sometimes I will catch myself wondering why not why I'm doing it I know why I'm doing it but why is this thing still mean so much and why am I doing it on myself like on my body so we yeah. will 
drink a little bit too much, talk about the cross love someday. It. I love, I love that. Uh, just for everybody, that book is A Grace Disguised, How the Soul Grows Through Loss by Jerry yes. Sitzer. Jerry so Sitzer, if, that's right. So if you want to check that book out, make sure you do. We have 28 minutes, and I want to talk, <laughs> I want to talk about this book. I could talk about it with you for uh, a long time, but we'll do it in the next 28 minutes. Yeah. So again, several years ago, you started doing this show, which you didn't know it was going to be touring at the time. You're just trying out some new material, as it were. And oh, yeah. Yeah, and it was it called- It was with you. The Genesis yeah. is with you, which is yeah. great. It's that I, lost podcast, but- I, It was, it was it, what was so stupid is I could have, there are multiple, we were in Nashville. I could have called a number <laughs> of people and yes. said, hey, can you come make sure this goddamn recording works? <laughs> And I did it myself, and it was terrible, and we we lost. And I thought that night was actually really because because you're trying. You had like monologues, right? You had created these like talking points, and yeah. we're we we're trying to make it. We were trying to mix it with questions that I was going to ask you. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. thought it turned out really well. People came from hours away to hear you talk yeah. with me on stage, and we lost it. But so you started this thing. You didn't know it was going to be a traveling show. You know this tour that you were going to do called. Uh, say yes. And what was the original? What was the name? Or what's the name of the show? Say yes. I'm trying a litur- to a liturgy of not giving of up. Not on giving yourself. up on yourself. In fact, I called it just a liturgy of not giving up on yourself. I don't think I even named it say yes until like the sixth or seventh time. Amazing. You, and and even more so, I had been I'd gone through something and I'd started developing these like practices for my life, and I was doing them for about a year and a half and just kind of making sure they really worked. And then I just, you know, I'm an artist, so I'm in this dance with the muse. And I just felt the muse say, I want you to start talking about this now. Mm. And I was like, okay, well, how do I start talking about it? And I was coming to Nashville and I reached out to you because I was like, maybe this is a good place to just kind of talk it out or like say it out loud to an audience, you know? It's a good format. And you're right, I had like a stack of notes. I had some monologues prepared and I just was trying it out to see and like I think like half the there's about 75 people there about half the audience stayed and wanted to talk about it and they were like well that really resonated with me and that made me realize I was like oh okay there's something here I was scheduled to speak at a um, arts conference in a few weeks and so I kind of like little less notes a little more slides and then presented the same information there and it was received really, really well. And then that afternoon, we all got word that Anthony Bourdain had taken his own life. Mm. And I remember being walking in a parking lot in Boise, Idaho, just really grieving his suicide. Because I, because like, look, I'm not trying to be a celebrity chef, nor are you, but I think he probably resonated with you too. He resonated with oh, all yeah. of us who are makers because he was he was unabashedly himself. And he was really good at something. Mm-hmm. And that led him to, you know, wealth and, or, you know, I don't know how wealthy he was, but like wealth and fame and opportunity and travel, kind of all the best things of life. And it seemingly, and for him to go, I still don't want to be in my life. Uh, it really hit something in me. And it made me, it made me go, well, what do you think it's going to do for you if it didn't fill the lack for him either? And I, and I knew I was like, I knew I was, I had something that was about this conversation. And so in that parking lot in Boise, I was like, look, I think I have something. It's not everything, but I have something. And I will, I will promise to put this together. I'll put Mm. it, I'll, 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 I'll I'll try to make something happen to have this conversation with a larger audience, whoever it can, Mm. you know, wherever it'll go to. Yeah. And that was kind of like the moment that I was like, I'm going to put time into this. I'm going to try to develop it and started doing these shows you know, it was like, a, a, you know, every show was like a little less notes, a little more slides, a little less notes, a little more. For the first like 10, 11 shows, I talked about Anthony Bourdain. I just had a big picture of him and I talked about it. Yeah. And then eventually I was like, I don't, this isn't, this isn't helpful for what the show is. Sure. And um, anyways, that's kind of how it all started. And um, I did that for about, I did about 75 times. And then the pandemic happened. And right at that time, uh, I got a, a a book offer to make it into a book. So I spent the pandemic making two books, um, Honest Advent and then um, the Say Yes book. And so now that things are kind of, you know, at least open again, I'm like starting right. to do it again. And But I had that time to like 
take all this and translate it into a book, which is was surprisingly difficult. Like, I think even my editor was like, I thought you're just going to like transcribe your show and put it into a book. But as I did, I was like, oh, well, we got to talk about this. And this part doesn't really work. It works as a talk, but not as a book. And so we got to figure it out. And I had it, I illustrated like a hundred illustrations. Anyways, that's, that's kind of where this all came from. We'll, 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 we're going to end on Anthony Bourdain in a few minutes. Cause I, I, I do, oh, I do, man. I do. No, no, no. I'm glad you brought Tony up now because I do want to, well, you talked about him a little bit and then we're going to bookend with Tony because yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I miss him a lot. Yeah. Like how do you miss someone that you've never met? Totally. And I literally like, I feel yeah. emptier without him on the planet making his shit and like sharing stuff with us. And so yeah. we will talk about him. Did you watch him. the Roadrunner movie? Oh, yeah. Okay. Do, do, you mean, we'll talk, do, you mean, do you mean did I sob through the last 30 minutes when it got super intense? And I like literally we're all just sitting here dry heaving in the theater. Like, wh- I mean, I'm hearing other people like break oh, down yeah. in Me the too. last like 20 minutes. Like it was in- insane. Yeah. It was hard. Well, I was the last person to leave the theater. Same. Uh, I think everybody left and I just was still sitting there. I couldn't and I, move. Yeah. And I had a friend take her own life like a month before. And I just was like, oh, my God, this is so much. When David Cho breaks down and cries, that was, <laughs> oh, man, that slayed me. I couldn't yeah. hold it together. Totally okay. agree. Anyways. So, yeah. so again, we'll get to Tony. I want to talk a little bit about Tony at the end. Um, let's talk about this book. So Say Yes, Discovering the Surprising Life Beyond the Death of a Dream. You talked a little bit about how it came to be. I'm, I'm, you know, one of the one of the the upsides to a global pandemic is that it did help us like stop doing things that we were doing and start doing others. I was very productive during the pandemic, made a lot of things, processed a lot of things, worked moved. a lot of things out, <laughs> moved. Um, yeah, because why not move to the hotbed of COVID in the world, uh, New York City, <laughs> New York City. <laughs> during a pandemic? Um, <laughs> It was no longer the hotbed, but it's still. I mean, there's just a lot of people. It's not that it's not that we're yeah. we're living irresponsibly. It's eight and a half million people in this small little area. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's going to be lots of cases. Um, so this book, incredible, super helpful. What what, what I want to do is I'm I'm trying to figure out how to because again we could talk for hours about your book that would take hours to read. Um, trying to figure out how to go through it. Let's let's do this. Um. Let's just walk through it a little bit. Okay. What was your? It starts out talking about this, and I have, and and, and I'll be honest. Some of the, I, I don't know if I have a a big eight and a half by eleven like printed out version galley copy of the book. So oh, I don't, wow. I don't you didn't have. Get the, oh, you didn't get the arc. That's interesting. I thought you'd get the arc. Not yet. They're sending. They're, they're, well, I don't know what I'm getting. You're, send, you're gonna get a, a finished book in like a week. So don't. Yeah. Worry about it. And just yeah. so you all know, I think it, my endorsement is somewhere on the book. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Totally I'm excited about that. But I, so I don't know if I, 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 you know, I don't. Some of what I'm saying might not be exactly how it's laid out in the book because th- things might have changed. Sure. Um, this all started though with the death of a dream. Yeah. And that's where a lot of things that could look a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. What was the what was this dream that you experienced the death of the dyings of that you know spurred you into this new season of life that has resulted in you touring talking about it and writing a book about it and really transforming I think a lot of the ways that you are an artist and create art. Yeah. Um, I well this admittingly this conversation happened when I was about to turn forty. I'm like forty four now, so uh, which. I know it's a number created by astronomy, but it feels like a threshold sure. of some kind. But I had this, we, I, I'd like to, uh, I think that we all have a moment where somehow our body physically or psychologically will let us know that things aren't working anymore. I mean, depression is really a, a signpost that your psyche and your physiology is just like the way you're doing everything doesn't work. Right. And we're getting your attention. So I had this moment where I put my kids to bed and I walked out in the living room and I know, and I just was like crying. And I, it wasn't because we had a great bedtime story. It was just like, <laughs> what's happening? And it, I couldn't stop crying. And I made my way to our only bathroom in this place we were renting. And I just sat on the toilet and I just like cried for like an hour. And my wife found me. She's like, Oh, are you okay? Do you want to talk about it? And I was like, I don't know what this is. My tears mm. are me talking about it. Like I wasn't sure what was happening to me, but with some time and reflection, I realized I was like, oh, I I think I actually know who the kind of person I wanna be in the world. And I feel really far from that. 
Meaning like, I wish I would have, this is, this is not good storytelling. Like in the way of, like in the book, I kind of leave that to the very end. Read the book, read the book. Read the book. But maybe we all have, here's what happened is like my body physiologically, psychologically was like, Hey, that dream you've had about yourself, it's not going to happen. You got to let go of that. You got to, and we're going to grieve it. And it's, it's dead, which was, I wish I knew at 18 who I wanted to be in the world. That was kind of it for me because then I would be like, I could have spent the last 20 years working really hard. Like my creative hero, which I don't, Mike Birbiglia is like my creative hero. And he's a year, he's great. He's a year younger than me. And he knew at 18, he wanted to do comedy and all that stuff. And he's since then has created like five or six one man shows. He's made three films. He's done all this amazing stuff. I just feel like I've been falling down some stairs my whole life into my present day. And I just was like midway through my life. I was like, I kind of think I know what I want to do. And it, which is to, that I'm actually probably more of a performing artist than just like a studio artist. And, and then the question was, well, I guess you got to start now midway through your life. You got to start doing this stuff. And immediately I was confronted with these, like the voice of fear or the voice of giving up. And it was just saying like, nobody gives a shit about a 40 year old man trying to become a performing artist. And I was like, that's a strong argument. That's a very strong argument. And, but still, what are you going to do about it? And so I, as I started moving forward, there came, there there were these like kind of common inner arguments would come to me. And the way that I describe them in the book is nothing's going to change. You suck and are ugly. It's really personal for some reason. And then, uh, and dying is better than trying. Giving up is better than trying or dying is better than living. Yeah. And I, those arguments are very strong. And I knew what I needed to do was figure out a counter argument or a pivot or some kind of answer to that argument. Something that would allow me to push on through and keep going to not give up on myself. And so um, I started developing these like counter arguments, these kind of, and I call them like mental health, spiritual practices, and they really worked for me. And I, in fact, the three practices I lay out on the book are still practices I do every day because I still have those, there's still tremendous obstacles of like the story we tell ourselves that are feeling that we're not enough and the exhaustion of just like even trying to do anything in the world. And we need, I, it's, it's like a way of reframing the story, inviting myself to be a contribution to the world and uh, understanding that things will always die, but resurrection or new life is possible on the other side. Not to go back to like, kind of, that's kind of like a spiritual practice. Like uh, everything is in a state of like death and renewal, death and renewal, death and renewal. And throughout our lives, we'll go through many deaths and many renewals. And so then I ponder what's the gift on the other side of the death What's the gift of the renewal? And I think it's a new way to see everything. So, um, but what happened, so in the show, I'm kind of presenting this in a non-drab artistic way, um, kind of like a story, teaching, comedy, musical art show. But then as I started to transcribe it in the book, I was like, oh, fuck, I need to like, this is a very layered conversation. Right. For example, when I, and not this situation, but I've had a, I had a real professional burnout over a decade ago and it led to a long season of depression and suicidal ideation in some ways. And, um, I was working with a therapist and she's like, one of the things you need to do is you need to do, um, develop an exercise routine because it's really going to help your body and your psyche to get into that. And that's true. It did. But I remember, so I started running. I remember on one of those runs though, <laughs> I was just running and I was like, well, why the hell am I running? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? like I eventually bumped up against the existential question of like, what does it mean to be here? And as I tried, as I was transcribing Say Yes into a book about how do you not give up on yourself here where you find yourself, right. I realized there was all these layers of like, well, what does it mean to be here? And if there's a giver of here, the way I would say it in the book is like, we all understand that life is a miracle. We have the mm. science for that. It took its incalculable odds and a really, really, really long time for humanity to be here. And we all understand that life is a miracle, but how come the miracle sucks sometimes? Yeah. And if there's a giver of that miracle, does the giver have anything to say about the suckiness? And so I, so the book has like these layers of like, here's very practical things to keep going on the thing you want to do. 
And then here's another layer about like, are you saying yes to the your incarnation, which is the miracle of your life? And then what is the deeper conversation about the giver of that miracle? Is, is it benevolent or is it destructive? Is it alongside us or is it vacant throughout our lives? What is the narrative of that? And so those kind of things are working all at the same time throughout the book. That's that's what made it complex. Is like, oh, I have to go into these deeper stories about yeah. being here. Because the truth about like pursuing your dreams or pursuing your deepest desires, I definitely think it's a spiritual route. Um, but there, you know, and I think it's good to have like tangible goals, but we really have to be open-handed about where we want. Like there's really expensive stories about like Bruce Almighty or Wonder Woman 1984 are kind of stories about like, hey, it's maybe not good to get everything you want, yeah. you know? And, and I think what Say Yes is, is offering us is like, maybe there's a co-creative part of life. Maybe there's like a, you have agency to make decisions, but maybe there's an allowance and an open-handedness of allowing providence to lead you to the place where it thinks that you should be. Um, and, and, and often like our greatest wound or tragedy or, you know, thing that, you know, that doesn't work out becomes the way in which we offer a gift to the world. And that's part of the journey. And I, I lay out like some examples and like a parable with it's the, it's the ship that turns into a lighthouse, you know, it's the mm. shipwreck that becomes the lighthouse. Like, and that's, um, I think that's even on the back cover of the book. It's like a main idea, which is like, there's a story in the book that I tell, which is just like the ship had this great purpose to go on this great journey. And then an unforeseen storm on the great sea of life wrecked it, pushed it up on these rocks and it was broken open. And then other, and then inside of the ship was these seeds and these seeds ended up growing into this forest. And then other ships wrecked by the, uh, the unforeseen sea come and find the ship. And they're like, Can we rest here while we recoup. And then the ship, kind of offers its wood and makes these homes for it and eventually makes like a lighthouse and offering a place for people to, uh, these other ships to find solidarity and rest and recuperation. And then the ship, and it's all a metaphor, right? And then the ship wonders later on, it's like, oh, wow, this way that I was wrecked actually became the way I helped others in the world. So maybe, that, maybe that was the purpose all along. And that's kind of what I found to be true is like our vulnerabilities, the places we've been wounded or the places we have weaknesses and limitations, these become the ways we connect uh, and offer a gift to the world. And here's, I'll tie this all up and we can talk about Tony. Here's why a dream dies. And, a, and I discuss what a dream can be, but a dream, a dream is the imagined version of yourself in a scenario where you have no weaknesses. When we, when we imagine or we dream about ourselves in a dream scenario, we never imagine any limitations or weaknesses that are going to be in that. When we imagine finishing a race, like a marathon, we don't imagine that it might take nine months of physical therapy to work on our knees because we're in our forties mm. and they stop working, you know, yeah. or when we imagine our dream job, like I want to start this restaurant. It's going to be amazing. We'd never imagine that we might have to get an investor to come in and front the capital to make this happen. And that might be a awkward and complex situation. Like our dreams never have our weaknesses in it. And the only way to move forward down the path of desire that's been putting you to walk is to go with your vulnerabilities. So the dream has to die in order that you can find the gold of your vulnerable connection to the world, yourself, and even to God. And that that's kind of the invitation of the book. Goodness gracious. Fucking A. <laughs> that was good. No, that's good. That's good. You know, so many of the people that listen to this podcast are in our age group. Yeah. Um, I'm 38. I'm coming up on that 40. And, uh, you know, during my 40th year, I want to, I'm going to walk uh, the Camino, Camino <gasps> Santiago. You want to come, you want to come with me when you're 46? Man, man I would love to. I, how are you well, gonna, I don't know if I can navigate that kid game. That's well, a long time well, to be gone. I know. We'll talk, we'll talk about it in it. We'll talk about okay. it in a year, year and a half when I'm planning it. Okay. Um, maybe we'll both be successful enough that we can just hire people to take care of our kids <laughs> while, we're, while we're gone for six weeks. Um, but I'm thinking about all this, and I feel like it, it, from 35 to 38 over the last three years, when I've lost more people than I've ever lost in my life to suicide and otherwise, yeah. and like shit has just gotten so incredibly real the last three years, 
four years, five years, just in the last little season. Actually, the season since I left, quote unquote, full-time ministry six years ago, the best thing I ever did was leave my first career, which was nonprofit, mostly in the Christian space, because I actually got to detox and got to just shed off all of my stuff and begin to actually see life for what it is. And what it is, is not linear, and it's not uh, always fun, and it's not always bad, and it's in, in, and it's impossible to, it's impo- it's not impossible, but it is a really bad idea, I think, to live our lives as if we're going to always be here, yeah. and 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 create a life around that, whether it's our fitness goals or our career goals or this or that, our family goals. Like, hey, I'm going to be here for the next sixty years. Therefore, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to reverse engineer this thing and move that way. I'm not saying it's a bad way. It's definitely yeah. not impossible. A lot of people live that way, but it is much better to live, uh, to have some plans for tomorrow and next week and next month and next year, but also live in the moment and not miss any of the amazing, beautiful things that are happening along the way. Um, I saw this interesting story, uh, interesting and also tragic a couple weeks ago. It was this news story. I don't even know the guy's name because it was kind of one of those things where you see it and then you move on. But this guy was in tip-top shape, marathon runner, um, like, I mean, just a spe- just a beautiful specimen of a human, like 45, 47 years old, in the prime of his life, wealthy, life was going super great, business, everything. I mean, this guy's got it made. Rents a cabin over the new year. So this is just like 10 days old. Rents a cabin over the new year to have some friends over for the new year. They are, co- they are all coming into town the next day. He is preparing the cabin, getting all the food ready, da-da-da-da-da, has a heart attack, falls dead, 47, prime of his life, prime of his health. Friends arrive the next day, find him on the ground, gone. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm just like, again, I don't know the guy. I'm sad about it. But also, like, like does this guy regret, like, just, just, just uh, every single moment of his life, the working out, the this, the this, to get to a moment where he's at a cabin and he just falls over in the prime yeah. of his life. We don't know when those things are going to happen. Yeah. And I feel like like your book... So Rabbi Harold Kushner has this amazing quote uh, that I've let... Ever since I put together a TED, TEDx talk three years ago that I gave in Chicago, Yeah. This this quote never leaves me. Our souls are not hungry for fame, comfort, wealth, or power. Our souls are hungry for meaning, for the sense that we have figured out how to live so that our lives matter. Yeah. It's not bad to want comfort, some measure of comfort, or even wealth so you can take care of your family. Uh, Power and fame, those are fucking, like, those are just lost causes. I mean, just, again, we talked about Tony. Uh, Within that same period of that week or two weeks, Kate Spade also died by suicide. And we've got all the, like, fame and wealth, or fame and and, and power, just give them up right now, people. Don't pursue that. But um, none of these things are bad to try to... to try to make a life for ourselves where, you know, we're sort of comfortable and our family is taken care of. Those things are not bad. But figuring out the meaning of life, like, and how to live so that our lives matter in the end. And what does that even mean, right? That's even just super, like, nebulous. Like, what does a life that matters even mean? Everybody has a different answer for that. But I'm so glad you wrote this book. Mm, thanks, Because, buddy. yeah, we need to have this conversation about our dreams dying and these voices, y- you, you, uh, this voice of not, this voice of giving up mm-hmm. comes in the form of a T-Rex, right? And you're yeah, not yeah, just yeah. in your show, but also in the <laughs> books. And it's yeah. this, this, uh, this voice is nothing's going to change. You suck and are ugly. Dying is better than living. These voices that we have to, we can't ignore them. We have to look at them like head on and address them and come up with these counter arguments that you've done so well yeah. in your book. So I, I'm so grateful for this book. Um, so grateful for you. Um, you. Let's spend a couple minutes here at the tail end. You at the, at the back end of your book, you talk about a death practice. Yeah. You mentioned this quote from St. Benedict, uh, this Benedictine practice, keep death daily before one's eyes. Yeah. I do that. I, 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 
talk about it through memento mori, this Latin, this Latin phrase for remember you're gonna die. Like death yeah. is coming, you're gonna die. These yeah. Roman, these powerful Roman generals used to have servants whisper in their ear when they were coming back from victorious from battle. Like all these people are praising them. You're the best, you're the greatest. And in their ear, a servant was whispering, Memento mori, memento mori, you're gonna die. So like take everything that's happening with yeah. one or more grains of salt. Yeah. Tony Bourdain, somebody that means a lot to you and me. I think it's, let's just wrap up on this because I think it's, I think it's important to his, Tony's amazing life that was very tumultuous, right? Roadrunner mm -hmm. like gave us a picture into things that we'd probably never seen before about family and relationships and kids and how he kind of became an asshole like at work and people were just getting sick and fed and what caused him to be that way. And yeah, um, in the finished product of the book, do you, uh, dedicate the book to, to Bourdain? Because I know that's in, it's in my version. I chicken. I uh, I didn't chicken out. I just was like, I know the dedications to all the, all the ones we lost too early. We miss your light is the new dedication. So it's, I, it's bigger than, it's the same idea, but it's bigger than Bourdain. Yeah, I felt weird. Not, I didn't feel weird about dedicating it to him. I just, as I was putting the book together, I just was like, man, I don't know who you are, but I wish you wrote a book about not giving up on yourself instead of me. That's kind of the, the early dedication it was just like, I wish, I don't know. I just, I thought through it and I just didn't think it was everything I wanted it to be, but yeah, it, my initial version, I dedicated the book to him just going like, I can't, I wish you wouldn't have given up on yourself. I mean, I still think you're giving the same uh, 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 dedication. It's just to a larger number of people, yeah. and yeah. it's just kind of widening the net. But I, I, I love that at least in this version, it, and, and and it's still dedicated to Tony because he's still in that group of people that yeah. we lost too early. Why does why does Tony mean? Like, what do you think is going on with Bourdain? Because none of us met him, right? You, me, the people I've known that that really miss him. As we as we think about as we wrap up this conversation about living and dying, and we're kind of ending on the note of like dying well and thinking about death. Um, why did his life in particular impact so many? Because again, nobody talked. Like Kate Spade died. Like it was that a week before, a week after, like same week. But yeah, yeah. it's like a few days before. But nobody's nobody's talking about Kate Spade's death in the way they're talking about Bourdain's death, and and nobody's dedicating their book or almost dedicating it to yeah. Kate Spade. And I'm not I'm not dissing Kate Spade. May she oh, rest in sure. peace. Yeah. But there was something about his life and death that really impacted people. What is that for you? Well, I, I think, you know, through the magic of editing and television, it it gave us a very curated existence uh, of, you know, and Roadrunner helped to see like, oh, there's, there's a lot of cost to that. As you would be there, there's no way you could be on the road for 200 days a year and like have a great family, you know, or a great marriage, like that's eventually going to go away. I think, I think though, what it gave us is like he present, at least through that medium, they presented us like the world is much more interesting and complex than we can imagine that there's all this magic that the greatest thing ever is to be able to sit at a table with people at their home and share a meal. It, it kind of always came back to that. And I think that offering was a delight to all of us. It's something we all desire, even if we're afraid or skeptical of the larger world, it was just like, yeah, but so much it's, it's, it's actually the, the power that's greater than all of the powers, like if forgiveness and connection and restoration, like it's so, it's a, it's so, so interesting that throughout the Holy scriptures, uh, uh, it's actually meals that are the most common worship practices is it's, it's all like, uh, if you look all the, the most common worship practices in the Bible are meals together, they're feasts, yep. meals. And Tony was kind of like a purveyor of the magic of the meal of the feast, that food and sitting together and, and nourishing ourselves uh, with our, you know, food for our bodies and conversation and warmth and kindness for our souls, that that would restore us. And so I think it tapped into that deeper, deeper longing. I think he kind of showed us that that was possible all over the world. And um, yeah, and then uh, like, you know, if you took your life and edited it into a two minute promo, you'd be like, whoa, my life's pretty awesome. Everybody's life looks awesome 
in an edited version, but we just have to live with the mundaneness and the normalcy of a lot of things. Um, and so uh, we can often dismiss ourselves from the magic that's going on. But um, I think I think it, it was a number of those things. And I love that he was unabashedly himself because yeah. he was a refreshing take on all the travel shows, which is like, hi, I'm in this place and it's so great. Don't get me wrong. I love Rick Steves and stuff, but yeah. it was awesome to see a guy like smoking cigarettes and drinking and being like, yeah, you know, I'm hanging out at this bar because that's kind of what we do when we travel. You know, we're not just like backpack like, hmm. I don't know. I don't know. He showed us like a, a a different way of being on the medium of television that we hadn't seen. And it felt more real. And I think that was what refreshing was. That's it was you're, refreshing. you're you're so right that if if you you and me, if if our if our coolness and our work and our lives and our family were edited down to a two minute thing, it would look fucking awesome. Yeah. And I, and I only wish that the people that have left us too soon, I only wish that. For, with Bourdain, for example, that he could have seen Roadrunner before he passed away. Yeah. Like, I only wish he could have seen how much people loved him. Yeah. I only wish people could have been that real. Maybe they were. But but a lot of times we don't get real until we've lost that person, that thing, and we realize what we had or what we've lost or what we didn't have. And, you know, my brother, my brother-in-law died by suicide uh, three weeks ago, and we've been mourning that and that kind of changed the nature of what our holidays look like and we're standing there outdoors around a big humongous bonfire with 200 people that came to his memorial and and all the things people were saying and the things people were sharing it, it was just it was a reminder once again of like if tony or if michael my brother-in-law or if other people if they could hear these things the ways people love them and the ways people care for them before they go, like, would they have made a different decision? Would mm -hmm. they have decided to not give up on themselves? Would they have decided to stay, fight harder, um, and yeah, stay with us? So, um, I don't want to end on a sour note, but I do, I, I, I do, I mean, I do want people to think about death. I do want people to read the book and get to yeah. the point where you talk about your death practice because it is so incredibly important for us to live. You talked earlier about not it, the spiritual life isn't even about becoming a better person. It's becoming a whole person. Like we don't get to be whole until we have some sort of death practice. We don't get to be whole in living until we think about dying and yeah. think about what that means. And I think that helps us become a more whole person. Yeah. Um, and your yeah. book, your book does that. Yeah. I mean, at the end, I, I talk about suicide um, where I just go the strategies and I'm so sorry, man. And I, uh, yeah, I, I'm listening to um, the comedian, Jimmy Carr, his book, and he has a line where he says, suicide doesn't get rid of your pain. It just breaks it all up in pieces and you hands it out to the ones you love the most. Goodness. Um, and I, I just, from my own experience, I'm like, oh, the strategies for giving up on yourself and the strategies for not giving up on yourself are exactly the same. It's, you know, suicide is attractive because it it's making a plan. It's the promise of ending pain. Um, you come up with a strategy for change. Like those are en endlessly interesting. Um, just one believes that you have to get out of the way. And then the other one submits that you need to resurrect what's not working anymore. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I wanted to offer something to that conversation to be like, I think I heard somebody say like, I didn't necessarily want to die. I just wanted the life I was living to go away. <laughs> mm. And, and I think that's the bigger, the biggest problem is like, we'll find ourselves sometimes in a life that we're living and we're like, I hate this life. And it's like, we don't have to end your existence to get, to stop that life. You can start another life. There's another way of doing that. Mm. Um, and, and giving yourself some time to change those things is, it's the better way to go. So, um, I love it. Cause yeah. Anyways, that's, that's in that book, but I love um, it. Well, dude, yeah. I, I know you've got to go. Uh, friends that are listening, say yes, discovering the surprising life beyond the death of a dream. This conversation comes out on January 18. The yes. book comes out a week later on January 25. Yep. Where can people get it? Where do you want them to get it from? Some because I always try to like Amazon's the easiest, but like meh, it's Amazon. Um, so like, or or maybe you'll tell people to go to Amazon. I don't care. But where do you want people to go get it? And where can they follow up on more of who you are and what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, uh, 
it's available all books. I mean, you can buy it on Target and Barnes and Noble and stuff like that. Obviously, Amazon's real easy, and I don't have any beef with Amazon. Uh, uh, that's great. I know ChristianBooks.com, which is I've never bought anything from, but they have it for like ten dollars off. It's like oh, a twenty-five dollar book, and it's like they're selling it for like fifteen bucks. And I was like, well, that's a real good deal. So you can get it from there. Um, but yeah, it's wherever books are sold. If you just type in "Say Yes, Scott," it'll come up. And uh, you'll find it. And you will want to follow Scott on social media, his art. Scott, I'm not joking when I say this. You're one of my favorite artists. And I have a lot of favorite artists. Like, I don't know how you come up with this shit. Like, I don't know how you feel something, see something, and interpret it the way you do. And and also at the speed at which you do. Like, not that you're not, not that there aren't certain things that you make that take a long, long time. But, like, you seem to churn this stuff out. And not, again, it's not sloppy. It's not, like, it doesn't feel... Uh, uh, rushed at all. It's good, it's solid, and it resonates so well with people. The ways that you interpret, again, things that are happening in society, things that are happening in, in, a, in a variety of ways, you interpret them so well. So I will link to all of your social media in the show notes, or just go look up Scott Erickson. You'll find Scott, his art's amazing. Buy his book, attend a show, support this man so he can feed his kids, and continue living in Austin, <laughs> Texas. And they just remodeled their house, so go buy the book, goddammit. Um, Scott, I love you so much. Thank you for this. And um, yeah, I hope to send more people your way. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate being with you during this time together. Dear friends, that's it for today. Thank you so much for showing up and for spending some time with us this week. To find links for everything mentioned in today's conversation and to keep up with all things Let's Give a Damn, visit letsgiveadam.com. Please share this episode with a friend. Please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please, please, please show up next week. We have more incredible conversations coming your way each and every week. Chad Snavely, Jess Collins, and the team at Sound On Studios made this episode. The music is by our friend Propaganda. You can reach out anytime and for any reason at hello at letsgiveadam.com. I love you all. Be safe. Keep giving a damn. Bye for now.